All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tacovas is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of the Yard. A lot to talk about. A lot going on, man. It's almost time football season. We'll have some action this week. Won't be nearly as good as what we have next week because Bulldogs are playing next week. Take on Louisiana Tech, 3 p.m. Let me encourage you two to get tickets from the Mississippi State Ticket Office. Cena. A handful of people out there kind of looking for tickets on social media. Still available through the ticket office at face value. So rather than pay some fee to some third-party vendor for a ticket you can get for face value, depend on the fine service of Mike Ritchie and all those fine, hardworking people at the Mississippi State Ticket Office. Trying to save you guys some money whenever we can. I think it's important that we do that, look out for each other. Because there's a lot of people out there, a lot of sharks out there trying to take a bite of something. You know what I'm talking about. You don't need to get involved in all that. Always check the ticket office first. Always, 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 always. I've seen some people, too, on Facebook last couple years with football games where people end up cash apping somebody some cash and don't get any tickets. And so I understand sometimes you got to take those kind of risks, but – when you can call the ticket office directly, there's no risk. Those tickets are guaranteed. And as Mike Ritchie has told me before, if you buy tickets through Mississippi State and there's a problem, they can fix it. If you buy tickets through a third party, they probably can't fix it. Especially when there's these uh, you know high capacity games and there's a lot of you know fraudulent tickets out there. And of course, you know, digital ticketing makes it a little more difficult for those uh, people to take over and take advantage of you guys. But uh, also, I just think you just got to be smart with your money. So, again, check the state ticket office. Kickoff, 3 p.m., broadcast carried by ESPNU, Mississippi State, more than a three-touchdown favorite. 
in the game. I'm curious to see what happens to the line as we get closer to the ball game because you know, there will be some suspensions. But uh, we've, we've reviewed Louisiana Tech on the show, kind of previewed them. And you, you guys are well aware that they have three of their f- four top receivers not returning. Their top two running backs. They do have a quarterback that's back. But um, a lot of missing pieces from an offense that really wasn't very good last year. They weren't great on defense. They lose their best pass rusher. And so it ought to be a game that State can stretch your legs a little bit. I know you guys are excited about that. I am too. Really excited to see the Mike Leach offense on the field after a full year of uh, practice. You know, I asked some of the coaches uh, – Tonight, we had a media opportunity. We'll talk about some a little bit later in the show. But, you know, it's just kind of night and day difference. And everybody says, well, you know, State's kind of in the same boat as everybody else. Well, not really. You know, we had to make a pretty dramatic change in our offensive game plan. We also changed our complete defensive alignment and scheme. I know there's a lot of schools out there that had new coaches last year. But I don't know that anybody had such a dramatic change offensively as Mississippi State did. You had a lot of people kind of, you know, recruited to run, you know, the zone read, and then the RPO-type offense. It's a much different dynamic. So I'm eager to see what's going to happen on, on uh, next Saturday just because I think you're going to see a much better brand of football. And I think this defense is going to be especially salty. I really, really, really like this linebacker group. I like the safety room too. But I think those linebackers can really be elite. I think Zach Arnett is a guy that kind of demands greatness from his players. And you got some very talented guys out there like Tyra Sweet and uh, Buki Watson. And, of course, Aaron Brulette, who I think will end up being an all-SEC linebacker by year's end. I-, I think it's ridiculous that Charles Cross is the only guy that's been selected. Yeah, and here's the thing, too. You know, I get it, and I, I joked about this on Twitter, and, of course, you know, those self, uh, you know, self-obsessed old Miss folks thought I was making fun of them. I really wasn't. But, uh, if you know, if the shoe fits, you guys go ahead and wear it, put that slipper on and, you know, parade it on around the house and sashay right on down to the square if you want to. But, um, you know, I'm just making a point, you know, it's like everybody was like, oh, you know, we're picked seventh in the West. You know, who cares? What does that mean? Because if you knew the people doing the picking, you wouldn't be nearly as upset about it. And I pulled up the SEC West coaching projections for baseball. And, of course, they picked second. And we finished second. LSU picked fourth. They finished fourth. Ole Miss picked first. They finished third. Arkansas picked third. They finished first. And if you may recall, when that list first came out, I said then that Arkansas was being slept on a little bit. I thought we would win the West. I didn't think Arkansas would be what they proved to be. I did think they would be a really good team because they were kind of built to win this year, and they didn't. But my point being is that there's just no point in getting, you know, getting your dander up and your knickers in a twist because somebody made a preseason list. Anybody can make a list. And there's so many people out there that are you know, trying to cultivate a brand on making these stupid lists on Twitter and I see some people sharing that stuff, and it's like, you know, you don't even know who this person is. What are their qualifications? They're just making a list. Doesn't take any special skill. Okay, here's what I think. And then we're going to go retweet it? I mean, come on. Doesn't make any sense. But my point is, is that we got to go play the games. There are a lot of people last year thought LSU was going to be pretty good. They weren't. At least not in football. 
they could be better this year. I don't buy the hype that they should be better this year because I don't think they're a better team this year. And again, you know, brand new coaches again. You know, so it's, you know, I think we're starting to see that they, the Joe Burrow year, the NAFL championship year, that was the exception rather than the rule. We're starting to get back to, you know, the real Ed Orgeron. And listen, I like Ed Orgeron. I do. I think Ed Orgeron's good for college football. The guy's a great motivator. I don't know how great a coach he is or as good a teacher as he is, but, um, you know, he did a really good job a couple of years ago just kind of staying out of the way and letting Joe Brady run the offense. You know, that, that wasn't what he did at Ole Miss. You know, he had to have a spoon in every pot. And that's a job, to be honest with you, he just wasn't ready for. And it was great for us to be able to watch that. He a tremendous recruiter, for sure. Gave us a lot of grief. Struggled to beat us. But he beat us on the recruiting trail. And I used to always joke with people, yeah, at Orr's run, you know, kind of recruiting the Ole Miss, you know, a place that supposedly sells itself, you know, he did a really good job of getting a lot of guys to say maybe. But he also found some guys, too, that, uh, you know, were maybe a little undervalued as recruits. So I think the guy's a good evaluator of talent. And now he's at a place like LSU where he can recruit those guys that were telling him maybe at Ole Miss will go to LSU. And so it's almost a good, the best case scenario for him. Number one, it's a, it's a place where people kind of speak his language. And I don't mean that in a humorous way. I just mean that he is a Louisiana guy. And, you know, from Golden Meadow, or Cutoff, yeah. But, he, you know, he's down there, down in the bayou, down in the river parishes. I guess that's right. But, um, you know, Ed, and I'll get Ed's from Galliano. Uh, but Ed's a guy that, you know, he can go on there. People know him. He knows them. You know, he can speak some Acadian French to them. You know, he's one of them. And so it's a lot easier to, to do a good job recruiting in-state when you are an in-state guy. You don't need somebody to tell you. You know, a guy played football at Northwestern State. He's coached at Nichols. You know, he's been around. I mean, these guys got connections all over that state. And so it makes a lot of sense that he would do well recruiting in the state of Louisiana. I think the last three years, the state of Louisiana has produced more NFL players per capita than any state in the country. So, yeah, he's going to do well in that respect. But, you know, can he stay out of the way? Can he hire coordinators? Can he hire coaches that can consistently do a good job? It's a tough, tough deal. It really is. Not to mention with all the stuff hanging over their heads, you know, what's going to happen? You know, we'll see. But uh, LSU also in the news, and we're going to get to that a little bit later in the show as, as well. But, uh, yeah, a good a good thing going on. I want to share with you guys, too, real quickly. Last thing I got to write for the book, we'll go in today. That's the epilogue, and I'm, I'm pretty much done with that. It's going to kind of got to massage it a little bit, and we're done. I edited the forward today. Pictures are all being kind of figured out. Other people are handling that. And uh, looks like we'll deliver the book to the layout person next. That'll happen here in the next couple of days. And then that'll be on the fast track to get it out to the printer. And then, uh, you know, I should have a cover here in the next day or two. I, I've, I have signed off on the proof. We're just kind of waiting to get the final uh, thing back. And then once we have the cover, we'll do the, uh, the pre-orders. But uh, many of you have asked me. I get messages every day, multiple messages every day. Steve, where do I pre-order? How can I pre-order? Just be a little bit patient. It's uh, something that's beyond my control. It's not like uh, you know I'm running the show in that respect. But uh, we'll get it done. And again, I'm encouraging you, you need to pre-order to guarantee you get a book. Because once those books get into bookstores, it's going to be a mad dash to get them. 
I'd hate for you not to be able to get those books for Christmas. So be sure to pre-order. That way you guarantee you get a book and you can get it signed. I've had people say, hey, Steve, I'm just going to order online and then I'll meet you up somewhere and get you to sign it later. Well, you don't have to do that. You can just order online and get a signed copy. And if you put it in the notes, what you'd like me to personalize or who you'd like me to write it to, we can do that as well at no additional charge. So it'll save you the trouble having to track me down and come stand in some line somewhere. But uh, I'm excited about it. And if you're looking for the other books, and it seems like I get those messages every day too, go to alphadogsthebook.com. You can get personalized copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. Blooms of Oleander, available through Amazon, uh, as well as barnesandnoble.com, booksamillion.com, and great bookstores everywhere. They can order it for you. Your, your local bookstore can get that one for you. So go check it out. And if you want it personalized, you need to order. You can call Book Martin Cafe in Starkville. They'll call me. And then when I have a chance to run to town, I'll go by and sign your book. I know Tony McDonald messaged me just a couple days ago. Tony from my hometown of Columbia, Mississippi. He, got, he called Book Martin Cafe rather than going through Amazon. Got a personalized copy. So that's how you do that. And thanks so much. Blooms of Oleander, a bit of a side project for me on the Mississippi bestsellers list again. Very, very grateful for you guys for that. Put a lot of time and effort into that book, too. One of the more difficult books I've ever written. Well, Dogpile took a lot of time, a lot of research, and a lot of uh, physical energy in many respects. I hadn't had a lot of rest the last uh, six weeks or so. Blooms of Oleander, much different. Much, much different. Because you got to sit there and create. You know, you're not interviewing somebody. You're not recapping a game you're not writing some historical chapter you know you're just pulling from your heart it's difficult to do that sometimes even for a guy like me that wears his emotions on his sleeves all right bulldog burger company speaking of uh, wearing things on your sleeve that you'll wear the joy of that experience on your sleeve and on your face go by and check them out i love going in there you will too anytime people come to town it's like i've got friends that'll come to town and say hey let's meet for lunch at bulldog burger company and I'm glad people kind of equate me with that because Bulldog Burger Company is for winners. Great food, great prices, great portions, a great atmosphere, great service. I've never had a bad meal there, never. And I've been countless times. I was eating there long before they were sponsoring this show. I firmly believe that you will have a great experience there too. Now, three locations to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, which is a fabulous location, and then the brand new in Lake Harbor Drive there in Ridgeland. Go by and check them out. Have the Pimentology ad bacon. It'll change your life. If you're in a bad mood, you go have that hamburger, completely turns your day around. Order that chocolate shake to go. They have pretty good bread pudding there, too. I'm a bread pudding connoisseur. I think that's the good measure of a place, you know, when you can go have a good bread pudding, and uh, that's what you do at that family restaurant. So, and it's not just that. Everything that I've had at Bulldog Burger Company has been outstanding. It will be for you, too. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, LSU in the news. Uh, John Bell Edwards is the governor there. I believe that's correct. John Bell Edwards, the governor. They're doing these mask mandates and also, to the, um, the proof of vaccination, you know, for the Saints and now for LSU. I don't think it's an LSU decision. Some people have tried to kind of suggest that it is. And maybe they've done it kind of in concert with the governor's office. But the first thing that happens as soon as you see LSU does it, because there's a lot of people that just kind of jump on board. There are a lot of these uh, 
you know, people on social media that, you know, they just kind of want to tag along. Oh, I've heard this is going to be conference-wide. Well, what I'm told is that the conference is going to leave it up to the states and the individual schools themselves. So the schools will basically go along with their state and local mandates. And then everybody says, well, you know, what's going to happen at Mississippi State? I'm, I'm told at this point there hadn't been any change. You know, the expectation is to have, you know, full crowds with no restrictions, something like we did for baseball. Now, that could change between now and then. But as of now, that's not the case. Also, I saw that – I cannot remember who did it. But I believe it was the reporter from the Oxford Eagle said that Ole Miss also plans to have full capacity with limited restrictions or no restrictions. And, and here's the deal. If you're a Mississippi State guy or an Ole Miss guy or gal – you don't need to watch what LSU and the rest of the conference is doing. Watch what the other in-state school is doing because we're all, you know, under the same set of guidelines. There was all this talk last year. It's like, oh, what's capacity going to be? And as I had, uh, you know, a well-informed person tell me, well, Steve, the, the information's already out there. It's not Mississippi State that's got to decide what the percentage of capacity is going to be. It's going to be those guidelines established by the Mississippi Department of Health and signed off on by Governor Tate Reeves. And so you go look, hey, it's 50% capacity. Okay, cool. Let's write an article because that's what it is. So the guidelines are the guidelines. And at this point, there are no guidelines limiting outdoor attendance at venues. Again, that may change. But, you know, what else may change is this whole thing may change. You know, we might have the, uh, you know, we might begin to see some things go our way. Again, I'm not a guy that follows that stuff really, really closely. I just try to live my life and do what I've uh, been advised to do. But I don't think there's any sense in us getting up in arms at this point and being fearful that capacity may be limited at Davis Wade Stadium just because it is at LSU. You know, if you're LSU, you got to look at what's happening with the Saints because, again, you're under the same state guidelines. You're under the same level of supervision. And so it's going to kind of vary state to state. It did last year. But one of the things that's kind of interesting to me is, you know, we went through baseball with all this stuff, and we didn't have any changes, and it wasn't any big deal. And, you know, we're playing pro baseball right now. And so, you know, that hadn't changed. People say, well, you know, a lot's changed since the College World Series. And that's true. It has. But what about pro baseball? You know, not all those venues are uh, limited in any respect. There are some. And again, that's all you know, dependent on state guidelines. And so, you know, Tate Reeves has been very aggressive, you know, about you guys kind of living your lives and having a chance to make your own decisions. And so, I don't expect a, a big change in that. Now, that could it could change, you know. Again, I'm just kind of basing based on Tate's uh, previous rulings and his uh, guidelines and his executive orders. You know, he is, you know, he's he's one of the first ones to say, you know what, no longer a state mask mandate. You know, he and Texas both were the first to do that. And everybody were like, oh, my gosh, you know, we're about to have Armageddon. And then we didn't. So I'm not going to offer you any code of conduct here. But I don't think, again, that we should get all up in arms. I know there are some people out there that are always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Oh, well, now that LSU's done it, we're going to do it too. Well, who's going to make us? Oh, well, the SEC. Well, the SEC doesn't have a conference-wide mandate on this stuff. Oh, well, it's going to be, you know, the federal government. Well, you know, we fought a war over that, right? I mean, you still have state rights. And so as long as the state guidelines are what they are, there's no point in expecting 
a major change. But when that decision is made, if there is a decision made, it'll either come from the governor's office or Dr. Mark Keenum. That's one of the things that I it really kind of gets my dander up a little bit, man. It's like all these people, uh, you know, John Cohen's my buddy, and, and I'll be honest with you, uh, you know, John is a guy, to, to be honest with you, I, I didn't know what kind of athletic director John would be. I wanted John to stay the baseball coach because, you know what, we had just won an SEC championship, and I thought, you know what, we might be a year away from winning an AFL championship. I wanted John to stay the baseball coach. John became the athletic director and has had to navigate through some very challenging times. But there are some people, it doesn't matter what happens. I mean, if they catch, you know, they, they catch the red light, you know, they're at South Montgomery in 12, it's somehow it's John Cohen's fault. And it's a little bit hyperbole. It's a lot hyperbole, to be honest with you. But there are so many people out there, they're like, anything that goes wrong in Starkville, somehow John Cohen is behind it. It's almost like the Ole Miss people, you know, alleging some kind of conspiracy that, you know, that John Cohen fixed the College World Series. I mean, it's like I joked on Gene's page today. I said, you know, if somebody doesn't get enough ice in their drink, you know, or the cheese on their nachos from the concession stand at Davis Wade, it's not evenly distributed. Somehow it's John Cohen's fault. John's not going to make this decision. John didn't make the decision when it came to opening up the dude. And I can tell you, too, you know, that when John gets ready to make these, uh, you know, decisions that are within his, you know, supervision, it's not something that he takes lightly. I, I can tell you that John Cohen's a guy that pays very close attention to what you guys want. For you to think that he just kind of keeps you at arm's length and doesn't care and doesn't, you know, it's not about you guys, the fans. I think I think John said it best at the NAFL Championship celebration at Duty Noble Field. He goes, you know what, your team just won a NAFL Championship and they did it for you. I interviewed John way back in March about winning a NAFL Championship. And he goes, you know what, I even want it more for our fans and I even do our coaches and players because of what so what the fans give. They invest so much of themselves in this baseball program. You want to see them get some payoff. And so when there are other people out there that are suggesting, oh, well, John Cohen's doing this, just trying to stick it to the fans, those people don't know John. They don't know what they're talking about. That's just a reality of life. You, you can believe what you want, but if you believe that's the case, you're believing you know, something that is just simply false. And there are some people that say, well, you know, I know if John had his way, he would do this. I say, well, you know what? Again, you don't know John. And I think it's so irritating to me that we, some people, and I, and I always say, there's always people that re- respond to this, well, Steve, I wish you wouldn't preach to everybody. Well, you know, we might even pass an offer and play it around and hum just as I am after today's show, because I'm going to preach about this. I get really tired of the blame Mississippi State first mentality. I don't, I don't understand it. It's like we claim to love Mississippi State and the university and we're supportive of the leadership until we don't get our way, and then all of a sudden everybody needs to get fired. Let's bulldoze the campus. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. There's always this blame Mississippi State first mentality among this segment of our fan base, and, and it's just not rooted in any fact. It's not rooted in anything of substance. It's just, hey, this is how I feel, and – I'm not being catered to, so I'm going to complain loudly. And some of the people that complain the loudest about not opening the dude up, you know, were people that come to like one or two games a year. And I began to think to myself, 
well, now all of a sudden I can't get a ticket. Well, why didn't you already have a ticket? You didn't buy a season ticket? No, I didn't. I know that not everybody can afford to make that kind of commitment. Some people don't have the time to do it. You say, you know what, Steve, I just want to be able to come every now and again. And I, I get it too. But I remember with Super Bulldog Weekend, you know, there was one person in particular, you know, on our message boards that was just lighting people up at every turn. Oh, I, I called to get tickets and I couldn't do this and blah, blah, blah. And then tickets were available. They messed up. They messed up with their purchase, trying to purchase online. It was a mistake they made. And then rather than call the ticket office or try again or ask for help, we just get on social media and message boards and just start blasting everybody. Everybody with an MS State EDU email account. And the mistake was theirs. There were plenty of tickets available. The dude was opened up. And then what we do? What do we do? We go get on the message boards and say, I can't believe Keenum and Cohen are doing this to me, to you. Well, you did it to you. But let's go blame Mississippi State because we don't know how to order tickets online. And then, of course, a little bit later, this person comes back and says, hey, my wife was able to get it to work. Okay, cool. We didn't go back and delete all our, our, you know, nonsense. But we just, you know, kind of rolled on with it. Yeah, but I'm glad we got the update. You know, I'm out there having to tell people on social media, contrary to popular belief, there are still tickets available. I even went online and bought some myself just to prove that you could. Gave them to some other people. It's just that, that kind of stuff just blows my mind. It's like sometimes let's just take a deep breath. We all want the same things. We all want the same things. And listen, I'm an impatient person. You don't believe me? Ask anybody in my family. I'm a very impatient person. I'm pretty patient when it comes to waiting for revenge, though. I can kind of lie and wait for that to happen, knowing it's going to happen. But, you know, when I get ready, I go to a restaurant, I can't stand having to wait for a table. You know, I get if I get stopped at a red light in town, I'm thinking, man, can we go? My goodness, let's go which we'll, I could start a rant on that all day about how I think the timing of the lights on 12 are a conspiracy. I don't understand. Sometimes you can come through there in the evening, there's no cross traffic and light turns red anyway. What are we doing? Why do we want to stop the flow of traffic when there is no traffic? Makes no sense to me. There's no cross traffic. But let me stop because I'll get wound up about that. Uh, I love living in Starkville, just so you know. But sometimes there are things that I don't like. That's going to be the case anywhere. But listen, we're not always all going to agree, but we do all want the same things. And I think it's important to kind of remember that whenever there are you know, times of adversity or times of struggle. But at this point, I don't think there's any issue right now. Right now, as of today, Dave Murray is going to be on the phone later today trying to get a little more information. But as of now, we still expect full capacity at Davis Wade Stadium for the game against, two, uh, against uh, Louisiana Tech. As of now. And again, that may change next week. I don't know how you can change it next week when you get everybody making plans and people have already got hotel rooms and you know made plans. I just don't know if you can do it that quickly. And I don't know, I don't know if you want to do it. And, that, and that, let's just look at what the numbers look like a week from now anyway. I, I've got a friend out there that uh, tracks this stuff really, really close. And he suggested like a month ago that he thought Mississippi's peak – with this Delta variant was going to be August the 23rd. I mean, he absolutely said, this is going to be the day, August 23rd. And so I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. 
And then I look at a chart today that he sends me, and guess what's happened the last couple of days? It started to trend in the other direction. Now, that, that may, you know, there's always up and down. Again, I, you know, this is, you know, somebody that follows it much more closely than me. But, uh, you know, who knows what the numbers are going to look like next week. But protect yourself. Take whatever steps that you need to to protect yourself. I know some people that say, you know what, I don't feel comfortable going to the stadium. And you know what, I 100% support that. You stay home, watch it on TV. 100% fine with that. I don't think any less of you. I don't think anybody else should make fun of you. If you don't feel comfortable coming to the stadium and people being unmasked, then you should stay home. Absolutely. And you should not be the subject of ridicule. If you feel like, you know what, I want to come to the game, Steve, but I'm going to wear my mask. I can't insist that everybody else does, but I love the Bulldogs. I'm going to come, but I'm, this is what I feel like I need to do to protect myself. Absolutely do it. And if you want to sit there with your mask on the whole ball game, 100% your business shouldn't be criticized for it at all and if you want to come to the game and you don't want to wear a mask and you want to just live life like you always have then i think that's your choice and there are a lot of people out there to think you know what if you don't believe the way that i that they do that you're wrong I, you know i just i think it should all it's all a personal decision you can say well you know what steve i i don't want to be around people that don't you know think you should be vaccinated then, I, then you probably should stay home it's completely up to you and I don't think there are any right answers or wrong answers. I think whatever you think is right for you, you should do. Because what may be right for you may not be right for me. And I don't think that I should be able to force my values and my decisions on you. I don't think just because I decide to stay home, you should stay home. Again, it's up to me. There, there is an inherent risk in everything that we do. That's life. And, and I, I have seen some of these videos and from both sides of the, of the argument that just blow my mind. And, I, and the thing that I begin to think about is, my goodness, what is going on in your life that this has become such an obsession? I just don't understand it. And then, like, I've read, like, some people have said um, that non-vaccinated people should be denied health care, the hospital. Really? Really? When did we become so uncaring and unloving? You know, some, I've got friends of mine that have medical conditions that prohibit them from getting the vaccination. One really wants to get the vaccination. Their doctor says, well, you can't get it because of this. Or you shouldn't get it because of this. And they're terrified. Living life unvaccinated. They believe in the vaccine. And think, you know what, this could be a good thing for me, but because of some certain medication that they're on, the certain condition they have, they've been advised against getting it. Because they can't get the vaccine, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I just can't begin to imagine saying that. That, oh, you know what, hey, they don't want to get the vaccine, then don't let them go to the hospital. My goodness, man, where are we as a society? And that's how we feel. I, I think everybody else's vaccination status is not their business. But um, I think I shared this with you guys, and if I didn't, I'll share it now. You know, that uh, I had dinner with a doctor friend here a couple weeks ago. Told me they had uh, a little over, I think it was 112 COVID patients in the hospital, and 87 of them were unvaccinated. 34 in ICU, unvaccinated. 13 on ventilators, unvaccinated. You can draw your own conclusions from there. But again, you do what you want to do. 
I'm a live and let live guy all the way. And I know there's people right now here that say, Steve, I wish you'd move on because I think you're wrong about this. And you know what? That's okay, too. I still love you. We can disagree and still like each other. I I am one of the last of the tribe when it comes to all that. I believe that we can respectfully disagree and even at some points disrespectfully disagree and still be friends. That's how I feel. That's okay. You don't have to believe exactly the way I do. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. you got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy, E-U-F-Y. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com.
Facebook.com forward slash Boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. In order for us to be friends. My personal opinion. All right, so we did have um, we did have a media opportunity today. A bunch of those guys. So you can look for full coverage on Gene's page. It's all coaches this week, so no player interviews this week. We got a bunch on Saturday. Been running those out also on Gene's page. I got a couple player interviews left. Let me think who I've got left. I got Jaden Wiley and Aaron Brule left. I'll run those today. Then I'll have an interview with Tony Hughes tomorrow. So today we got Jason Washington, Tony Hughes, Zach Arnett, and Eric Mealy. Eric Mealy's Q&A session's already up on jeanspage.com right now for free. Any of that big room stuff that we do is free. Anything we do one-on-one is VIP. But that's out there. Mealy had a really elongated press opportunity with us. He says they've added another walk-on, you know, because school's in session now. So now you can go from the 105 to 120. So you got a 120-man roster now, so you can add about 15 more walk-ons. And so we now have seven running backs in the running back room. Now, three of those guys are walk-ons. You guys know about J.J. Jernigan, Omni Wells, right? And you got four scholarship guys. You know about uh, Dylan Johnson, Jaquavius Marks. Bull Hargrove, who they are affectionately calling Little Woody right now because he's wearing 21, and then Simeon Price. You've got four scholarship backs and now three walk-ons. And two of those three walk-ons are former junior college players who had a really good career. So this is a really deep group. Now, we haven't had anybody yet really emerge as the star. I think Jaquavius Marks is poised for a big year this year. And you say, well, Stevie caught 60 passes last year. I think he surpasses that this year. And I think he's going to run the football with a lot more authority as we've talked about. But this is a guy I think that is beginning to kind of understand the nuances of the offense. You know, I think last year you just kind of threw it out there to him and hoped he made a play. I think now he kind of understands rather than trying to always hit the home run, just swing it out here to me and I'm going to run as hard as I can for as long as I can we'll go back to the huddle. If that's five yards, six yards, seven yards, and so be it. But I think you're seeing a more mature player there, and I do think he has emerged as RB1. Dylan Johnson's a guy, too, that's going to help out some on kick returns. He has kind of been the off-returner, which enables him to kind of get out there and block for guys like Tulu, you know, get that first man down. But Dylan Johnson's also a guy that's going to carry a lot between your tackles. We'll also swing it out to him. So we've got some real options there. Do we have an Anthony Dixon, Colin Hill, Vic Bauer type? I don't know that we can say that yet. I do think Jaquavius Marks is a guy that can develop into a star in this offense. I really do. But I like the group, just eager to see who's going to really take charge. But I like what I've seen from Marks so far. And I really like the Katravian Hargrove kid too. Now, the thing with him is learning to play without the football. How does he handle the pass pickups? Uh, what does he do when there's an edge rusher? Will he step up there and stand a linebacker up? But, you know, those are the things that he's still learning. And that's one of the things, too, that's kind of difficult. You know, a lot of these guys, you know, in high school, they never learned the rest of their responsibilities as a football player. It's like, okay, just throw me the football. Some of the first high school tape that I watched years ago, it was a friend of mine, so I could be kind of honest with him. 
you know, it's like when you when you watch the same kids day in, day out, you know, there's some guys you don't really watch when you watch your game film just because you're watching 10 other kids that don't really know to play. And he had a receiver that was basically tipping the play at the line every single time, but it wasn't coming his direction. Just in his body language. Just he, would, he would go up to the line and he wasn't going all out. He, when he was the decoy or when he was the guy that was just trying to kind of you know, draw some attention to kind of get somebody out of the box. You know, in his body language, and I just saw it on tape, and I called him, and I said, hey, I wouldn't say this to just anybody, but you got a guy out here that's tipping plays. And then I, I said, look at this film. He's like, oh, my gosh, you're right. And so we got it fixed. But because there's a lot of guys that they're very selfish in high school, and they don't necessarily mean to be. They just are. They just haven't fully adopted the team concept of football to think, okay, if I'm not getting the ball here, I still have responsibility on the play. There's, there's something in this design. I'm supposed to go up here and run this route to run this guy off to open up, you know, a running pass for the running back coming behind me on the counter tray or something. And so that's kind of what you have, like with Katravian Hargrove, is that he was such a dominant ball carrier and such, you know, a weapon offensively that all of his skills are basically kind of predicated on the fact he has the football. And so he is learning – to play without the football. That will take a little time for him. It took some time for Jaquavius Marks. I think Dylan Johnson was a guy probably understood the pass protection concepts a little quicker. And I don't know if it's because he did it more in high school or just the fact that just maybe mentally he picked it up a little bit quicker and absorbed that information. But I think now you're seeing Marks do it, so you've got more of a complete back. So Hargrave, in many respects, is kind of where Woody was last year about learning to be more than just a ball carrier. Simeon Price, a little different, though. I think Simeon Price, number one, is a, is a really smart kid. And I think that he's a guy, too, that's got a big football IQ. They moved him around a lot, too, in high school. You know, he was a wide receiver, a returner, and also, you know, they would flare him back, you know, motion him back to the backfield, and he would be a ball carrier as well. And so, you know, because of the fact that he was kind of a, you know, jack-of-all-trades, he probably is a little more well-rounded. But to hear Mealy talk, I mean, he is really excited about his room, and, and how could he not be? You know, this time last year you had Colin Hill, a future NFL guy, and Colin's doing great, doing great. He'll make that team. I don't think there's any question. I, I saw what Pro Football Focus had him rated as the top rookie running back in the league right now, grading out the highest. Yeah, guy's making the, that's the guy's making the team. He's going to help Green Bay win some games. But you had Kylan, so you felt like you had an established commodity as the top returning rusher in the Southeastern Conference. And then you had some young guys that were four-star guys you felt really good about. But you didn't know what you had. You know, this year's a little bit different. You know, now you know how Marks and Johnson are going to play. You kind of understand what their strengths are. And then you go out behind them and you get two guys that are a good complement to each other. And so – the better football is in the future for this running backs group. They're, as talented as they are, they're still trying to really find some identity. And I think Millie did a good job kind of explaining that. And uh, you know, he's the guy, too, that mentioned, too, the, the Thursday night football thing to kind of keep the young guys engaged. And that's one of the things that I've often wondered about. You, know, How do you handle that? You know, when you've got a guy like Katravian Hargrove or Simeon Price, and you say, you know what, hey, listen, you're going to run the scout team this week. 
because these are the guys that are going to play. And i got to put all my time and effort into them. But I want you to run scout team because I need you to get some reps and stay football ready because, you know, what if we have an injury or what if a guy's non-productive? i got to be able to plug in. How do you keep that guy from checking out on you? And one of the ways they do it is they have Thursday night football. You know, that's basically a walkthrough for us uh, in many respects in the season. You know, you're not tackling to the ground in practice in season. So they have Thursday night football where they let those guys go play. You, know, you have like a scrimmage game, you know, with the scout team and that sort of stuff, and they get a chance to get out there and show the coaches what they do so that they remain engaged. And Dan Mullen did some similar things to that. I think Dan did it on Sunday nights, or maybe maybe it was Friday night. No, it was Sunday night. Sunday night or Monday night one. So you like to hear that because, you know, the, most of these guys are used to being the star. At least they have been the last four or five years. And now I'm running scout team. My friends aren't going to see me on TV. I told everybody I was going to be a Heisman candidate as a freshman. And now I can't get on the field. And so there's a little bit of a bruise to the ego there, even, even for the best kids. You know, you are so excited, and right now, like in fall camp, everybody's the same, right? I mean, you may not get the same reps as the returning guys do, but everybody's still the same. There haven't been any decisions made yet. You're still in contention. And then all of a sudden, you find out, okay, listen, you're not going to play, so I need you to go do this. I need you to go work hard against our first-team defense and get those guys ready to go beat Louisiana Tech. And so, yeah, that can be that can be very frustrating you know, for a young person. It really can be. So, Mealy, I thought, it explained it really well. And I really like Eric Mealy. He has a really good temperament about himself. And you can see why his guys like him. He's very positive. But he's also a guy, too, to hold some accountable. You know, and I think he and Zach Arnett both have said it best. You know, we're, you know, we don't sugarcoat anything around here. We'll just tell you. The reason that you're not playing is a guy in front of you is playing better. It may not necessarily mean that he is better. But he's playing better, playing with a higher level of execution, working a little bit harder. He's getting production. And listen, they all see it. The guys that can be honest with themselves, they know. And Zach Arnett, I thought, said it best too. He's like, you know what? I don't determine a depth chart. Except for those guys. You know, if you're a two, you're a two for a reason. And so if you don't want to be a two, then you fix it. You go win it in practice or when you do get an opportunity in a game you go do it in a game I seem a lot about those safeties I really like our safety group and maybe it's because we didn't have a safety group last year maybe I'm just so grateful to see all those guys up there running around going through drills but I like our safety group I think that our too deep is really really good I don't think there is a big drop off between the first team and the second team Arnett says there is a drop off but it's not what it was last year. You know, yeah, there's obviously going to be some drop-off because the reason is you have ones and twos. You know, but Sean Preston's a guy that, you know, started some games from us last year and even led the team in tackles in a couple of years, and he's running second team. I think that says a lot about the depth of the team, to be honest with you. When you have a guy that productive, you know, running second team. And we're going to play a lot of players. And there's no doubt about it. You know, Janari Dean, one of the best football players in this state a couple years ago. He's running second team. And he would have been second team last year as a true freshman. He's rounded back into good form. But I'm, I'm going to tell you, when you guys see Dylan Lawrence out there running around, you're going to be thinking, who in the world is that? That guy's really committed himself to the weight room. 
He really looks like he's playing with some confidence. He's quick to the football. He's a number two, but he's going to play. He had a big game against LSU last year, you know, before he broke his ankle. Broke his ankle in practice. It's one of those freak things that happens. Yeah, but Dylan Lawrence is going to be a value pick. And, you know, State beat, what, South Alabama to get him? I think that's right. This is a guy that can really play, though. I think they've really found his position. I wondered if sometimes if it wasn't linebacker, if we just didn't bulk him out and play linebacker. But I like the safeties group. I really do. One of the things I like about Jalen Green is that he's a safety guy with corner skills, lined up in the nickel. And how many people, you know, kind of hide an assassin there in the nickel, right? And so we've got Jalen Green is going to be up there, you know, facing off of those inside slot receivers. And he is going to be a guy that can run with them. I like the decision to make him a nickel safety. I think it makes perfect sense. He's also a guy, too, you can bring on a blitz package that can finish a play. He's not small by any stretch of the imagination. He's a good put-together player. You know, to hear Tony Hughes talk, you know, about you know, how great it is to kind of work with the safeties group and work with these coaches. I mean, you know, we're, it's been more of a normal camp. And he probably says he has a better appreciation for it after what all we went through last year. I mean, nobody knew what to expect. It wasn't a manual or anywhere that said, okay, in case of a global pandemic, here's what you do. Nobody kind of spelled that out for you. You just kind of figured it out as you went. And there were bigger things other than football that we were thinking about this time last year. We were looking forward to football. There were a lot of people telling us we shouldn't be, but we were. And it's incredible that now we're getting ready to play again and people again are saying, hey, I don't know if we should play football. And I just begin to say, again, why, why should we not? If we could play last year, we can play this year. And somebody asked me in a Jeans Page chat session tonight, Steve, is there any truth to the rumor that we're going to cancel the first two games? What? What? I love you guys to death, but sometimes I need you, you know, just to kind of take a deep breath. If we played last year, we can play this year. We played a lot of games last year with limited capacity, 25% or 50% capacity. We would go back to that before we started canceling games. We would play with no fans before we didn't play games. You know, people are committed to this. TV deals are in place. Production crews are going to come. I mean, just yesterday they announced the uh, the announcing crew for the first game. It's going to be here before you know it. What is it, nine days now? I think that's right. All the days kind of run together when you work every day, and that's me. We're going to have a chance to go watch Mississippi State play football. And so, I, again, I just kind of caution you, just take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Don't listen to all the noise. Don't think that every state is similarly situated. We're not. You know, it's like I, some people pointed out, oh, the state of Oregon's doing this. We're a long way from Oregon, not just geographically, but we're a lot different from Oregon. Just kind of take a deep breath. Protect yourself. All right, today's top 10 list brought to you by Close with Blair.com. Blair is a longtime friend of mine. If you're a friend of Blair's, you're a friend of mine. Mostly. I like most of his friends. If there's a few of his friends that... Uh, and I would say they're really more acquaintances. I think he calls them friends, but I think deep down they're acquaintances. There are a couple of, a few of his friends I'm not friends with. And it's my choice, I think. But anyway, but Blair is my friend by choice. I love Blair to death, and I love doing business with Bulldogs whenever I can. 
And I encourage you to do the same. We're in this thing together. Blair is also a guy that's got 21 years experience in the mortgage industry. A lot of people out there kind of breaking into the business and they may be well-intended, but they haven't really been through the wars, shall we say. There are a lot of people out there that uh, love to have your business, but maybe you're a non-conventional borrower. Maybe you're a person that's, uh, maybe you're self-employed. Maybe there are some complications to your loan application. Deal with a guy that's been through it. That's Blair Chandler. Go to closeofblair.com right now. Find out what he can do for you. And as a favor to Boneyard listeners, Blair is willing to pay for your appraisal. How cool is that? I mean, just by listening to the show, you're saving money on your refi or your home purchase right now. Just mention Boneyard and your conversations with Blair, whether it be by email or by text or by phone call, and he'll pay for your appraisal. That's about a $300 value. Blair is the guy that works for Fairway Mortgage Company, one of the five largest mortgage lenders in the country. Blair is in the top 1% nationally in the mortgage industry, not just in Fairway, in the industry. This is a guy that gets loans closed. And maybe perhaps, if, maybe you're not in a position where you can buy the home you want. Blair can help you get there or at least give you a pre-approval. That's the best way to go through life. Don't, don't waste your time or a real estate agent's time without getting pre-approved. Just go ahead and get pre-approved, and that way you kind of know the price range you're looking for. You know what fits your budget. Deal with a mortgage professional like Blair Chandler. Give him a call today, 601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. All right, a different take on the top 10 list today. This is one of this is my pick. I got a bunch on the list, but I was jamming one of my favorite bands yesterday. Because you know, sometimes when you're in a good mood, it's like I just want to put on my favorite tunes and just kind of feel good about life. I'm done with the book, you know, and so it's like it's a big burden off my shoulder. Not that I didn't love writing every second, but I'm glad to kind of get out from under that again. Football season's on the way, so I was just kind of riding around listening to some my favorite bands and. Um, I thought I would combine a band that had a really strong top 10 list. And then you guys love covers because those cover song lists always kill. So I decided let's combine two things, a cover list from a great band. And this band has probably covered about 25 songs in their career. They made two albums called Real to Real. It's the band Tesla. Arguably, arguably, the best rock and roll band of the 80s from America. You say, what, Steve? No, no, no. There's a lot of them were just metal bands, and there were bands that were kind of, you know, flash in the pan and part of a trend. Tesla was a true rock and roll band. That's one of the reasons they're still performing today. Matter of fact, they're coming to Tupelo, Mississippi soon, opening for Leonard Skinner. That's kind of an interesting combination, but um, be that as it may, I saw Jeff Keith when he was with uh, his side project, when Tesla was kind of kaput. He was with a band called Sofa King, and then they changed it to Bar 7, recorded an album called Bar 7. If you can get your hands on that, it is a great album. And some of that stuff was written for Tesla. There's a song called uh, New Life, and there's Four Leaf Clover, that are tremendous. You can find it on YouTube, like if you don't want to go buy the, the record because it's not available on Apple Music. 
but you can listen to that. Jeff Keith's vocals are great. I love Jeff Keith. He is a great singer, former truck driver. How about that? I bet you didn't expect to hear that. Former truck driver, great singer. Uh, one of the guys, too, that's still doing it at a high level. I saw him at the Ryman a few years back. They were incredible. I had never been to the Ryman. There's a chance for me to see Tesla together again since the reunion. I was thrilled. So here are my top 10 songs that Tesla has covered. This is not people covering Tesla. This is Tesla covering other people's tracks. So here's the top 10. Number 10, the Black Sabbath classic, War Pigs. They actually started with a few uh, bars of the national anthem, and then they go into it. I think that Frank Cannon's guitar on this is incredible. War Pigs is probably one of the only songs that I could pull off in front of a large crowd at karaoke, too. But Jeff does it masterfully. It's not as good as Ozzy. I'm not trying to say that it is. They do a really good job on it. Number nine, and this is a, a song that I think they are, that Tesla and Jeff Keith are perfect to cover. It is the Bad Company classic, Shooting Star at number nine. I think Jeff's voice and Paul Rogers are very similar in many respects. I think their range is the same. I think Jeff does a great job. He has that same raspy uh, type you know, voice that uh, Paul Rogers does. Number eight, this is a little bit different, a little bit out of his range a bit, but they kind of tune it down a bit. Number eight is Thank You by Led Zeppelin. Do a pretty good rendition of this one. I really like it. I really like it a lot. Number seven, off of the five-man acoustical jam album, and this will make Blair Chandler happy, it's Truckin' by The Grateful Dead. It's probably the first Grateful Dead song that I ever listened to in its entirety. Well, I'll take that back, probably Touch of Grey, and that was just because it was on MTV when I was watching it. I was not a big Grateful Dead guy, and some of you guys love those jam bands. It's just not really my thing. But we do have a, I think it's the first Grateful Dead song we've ever had on the show. But so Truckin', uh, Tesla's version on the five-man acoustical jam album, which is an album that really changed the trajectory of their career. You know, I was a huge fan. The very first time that I heard Little Susie off Mechanical Resonance, which is the first album, I was hooked. And then when I heard Modern Day Cowboy, I said, these guys are going to have some stay in power. The second album, The Great Radio Controversy, is the only album that I believe that me and all my friends all owned. There was no sophomore slump. They were incredible. But when they did the five-man acoustical jam, they went more mainstream. It really changed everything for Tesla. And Trucking was on that one. Number six, I think this is on Real to Real 1, but it's a Bad Reputation from Thin Lizzy. I'm a Phil Linett fan. Oh, my goodness. Love Phil. And uh, gone far too soon. What a tremendous talent. But Bad Reputation, I think, again, that's right in Jeff's wheelhouse. And I love the guitar on it. You know, people forget John Sykes was in that band. John's been in every band, for sure. Number five, and this is uh, one of those songs, too. It meant a lot to me, man, when I first really... I heard this song when I was much younger, and then after I got sober, it meant a lot more to me. Just because like, you kind of rediscover things. But I had somebody that I really loved and cared about and said, hey, listen, I think this is the most beautiful love song of all time. I don't know that I agreed, but at that point in my life, it made a lot of sense to me. You know, the whole part of you know, hanging around, growing my hair, drinking beer, all that sort of stuff. But it's a song, I Love You, from the Climax Blues Band. The first time I think we've talked about them on the show, too. The original is great, but Tethfoot does a really good rendition there. 
Uh, these final four, two of these are off the Real to Real albums, and uh, the other two are not. Number four is the Tesla version of the Rolling Stone classic, Honky Tonk Women. I love that song. It's one of my favorite Rolling Stone songs. And uh, I think Troy Licata, the drummer from Tesla, does a great job on this one. And uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, talk a little bit about, you know, the Rolling Stones today. Drummer Charlie Watts passed away at 80, was still touring up until a few months ago, and then came off the road. And a lot of people thought, hey, this is not good. Well, I mean, he's 80 years old. What'd you expect? He was famously quoted one time, he was furious with Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger had said in a TV or a radio interview, he called Charlie his drummer. He goes, oh, wait a minute, I'm not your drummer, you're my singer, which is just absolutely beautiful. But Honky Tonk Women, a great track. I, I love everything about it, and I think Tesla really is true to the original here. Number three, another one that I think is right in the Jeff Keith wheelhouse. The guitar on this is, they do such a good job because Leonard Skinner is a band, people forget, Skinner had three guitarists and sometimes had four. So you've got this layered thing. I remember Ronnie Van used to say, we got all the, we got all the mules pulling because they've got those guitar players just absolutely rolling sometimes, playing three different parts. It was just phenomenal. And I think one of the songs where it's the guitar from the Skinner era sounds the best is Saturday Night Special. And Tesla does a killer version of the song. If you don't know it, when you listen to the Spotify list, you're going to be glad you did. It is a killer song. Number two, I couldn't go number one with this one because the number one is a solid number one. But this is, to me, a solid number two. It is off the Busta Nut album which I believe is their fourth album, fifth album. Yeah, we go from uh, Five Man Acoustical Jam to Psychotic Supper, and then we go to um, Bust a Nut. Bust a Nut is an underappreciated album. There is not a bad song on that album. So if you're an old school Tesla fan and maybe maybe you started having kids and quit buying music and and you didn't keep up, that's a great one. You should go download it today. I love that album, man. Uh, but their version of Joe South's Games People Play, there are a lot of covers that aren't as good as the original. This one is better than the original. And that's not to say Joe didn't do a good job. Joe is not quite as talented as Jeff Keith. And the music on this, obviously, is a little more advanced. But the Games People Play, every night and every day now, Never meaning what they say now. Never saying what they mean. I love the song. I love the original, but I love this Tesla version even better. But number one, you know what it had to be? As soon as I said that we were, what we were doing, we're doing Tesla coverage, you knew what number one would be, and it signs. From the five-man electrical band, right? So for those of you that didn't know, you know that's why the, the five-man acoustical jam is kind of a take on that because Jeff wanted to record signs. He loved that song. They recorded it, and it was such a huge part of the performance, and the crowd responded in such a positive way. The record company says this is what it should be, the five-man acoustical jam. And, again, it changed everything for Tesla. I'm a huge Tesla fan, as you guys are well aware. I have everything in a catalog, and even some of the albums, even after Tommy left, that, you know, that, that don't have quite the edge. I think when, when Tommy left, they, they, they quit being quite as hard. I miss that aspect of them, but uh, I do love – Tesla, and I love going out here and I'm playing. And if you get a chance to do it, you should do so. I, I'm hoping to go to that show in Tupelo. 
Uh, to be honest with you, and this may seem sacrilegious, I've never seen Leonard Skinner in person. And a lot of that's just because I just, I feel like, and I, I don't want to be disrespectful to anybody that's still in the band, but it's just one of those things, it's just kind of a caricature of, of a legendary type band. And they've been doing their farewell tour as long as Kiss has. But um, might go over and check that out. But I, I really just want to go see Tesla. I, I do. I really want to go see Tesla. I've met Jeff and Tommy before. Um, but I love having a chance to see those guys play. So maybe we can all meet up and go to Tupelo and watch the show. If you have an idea for the top 10 list, reach out let me know. Going to do, on Friday, going to do a female rocker. Going to do a female rocker on Friday. I'll let you guys know then what we'll do, just to kind of tease it a little bit. But uh, there you go today, Tesla Covers. You can find me on all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. Send me your idea. I may just use it. Got a pretty good list together, but we're, Roy, Roy's like, oh, we need more of these kind of bands. We need more of this. Uh, Roy is always saying, you know what, we need to do more pop music, but then when we do it, you guys don't really respond. And so I really thought the Stevie Wonder list would do better than it did. It just did okay. You guys prefer rock and country. I've learned that after a year and a half of doing this. We've done over 300 of these things. It's amazing to me. And then every time that I go somewhere, I'll have some student or some you know 20-something come up to me and say, Hey, Steve, I've added so many songs to my playlist from the top 10 list. And there's a couple people that don't really like it. And you know what? That's cool, too. You can always hit fast forward. But uh, it's, been a, it's been a great addition to the show. And I've had so many people that have reached out and shared that, how much they've enjoyed it, especially kind of rediscovering some tunes you know, from yesteryear, but also, too, learning some newer bands. I had what's, It's so funny. I had somebody that just blew my mind here a while back. I had mentioned the band Escape the Fate, and I really dig those guys. I've met them, too. I met them at a uh, bar in Broussard, Louisiana here a few years back. They were playing a show there and, and loved those guys. I mentioned that, and then all of I got somebody on Facebook that messaged me that's like 10 years older than me that said, Hey, Steve, I'd never heard of Escape to Fate, but now that you've mentioned it, I've listened to them. I'd like for you to do a top 10 list. So we'll get to that at some point. Uh, I really dig Escape to Fate. I think you guys will too, but... Uh, Roy tells me all the time, he goes, hey, dude, you're a little more diverse than me. And I always say, don't beat yourself up. Not many people are. Uh, so there we go. Next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. I was there today. I had to go by and sign a new co- a new case of Alpha Dogs because you guys have bought all the Alpha Dogs up at Campus Bookmart. Going to be doing some game day signings with them. They have all four books there now. So if you're in town and uh, you're looking for books, you can go by Campus Bookmark. They have them, or perhaps you can just go order them online as you order your merchandise. And so I got a hug today from the lovely, talented Susie. I saw standing man. He was not wearing a short sleeve shirt, which kind of surprised me considering the temperature outside. Miss Kathy Brown also came in and hugged me. And our longtime friend, Miss Pam Minyard, is now working at Campus Bookmark. So how about that? How about that? And then... You know, Candy, Cindy, everybody down you know, that's holding it down in the basement, you know. Saw her today, too. And, and I was corrected, too. She wasn't just a diamond girl. She was also a state cheerleader. That is enough incentive to go in, right? Right? So go by and check them out. If you can't, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net and use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that gets you free shipping on all orders, over 50 bucks. 
any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Again, campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, today we preview Vanderbilt. You guys are well aware Vanderbilt's back on the schedule again this year, and we're really glad about that. We love it when Vandy's on the schedule because uh, we generally beat Vandy pretty well. We usually do. There's been some lean years where we uh, they, they got the better of us. But, uh, you know, Vanderbilt's one of those teams, you know, we've always been able to kind of get after them. I know that's been our big rivalry game with Ole Miss. And uh, I believe in the last 10 years they have split the series. But uh, we've had the better of it. State 14-7 and seven overall against them a couple ties years ago. State has won, oh, let's see, four in a row. We beat them last year 24-17. Probably should have beat them worse. I believe that was Will Rogers' first start. Uh, back in 14, we beat them 51-0 in 9. We beat them 15-3, 17-14 back in 08. Their last win in the series goes back to 31-13 loss in the Sylvester Croom era. And then before that, we'd ran off four in a row, most of those blowouts uh, under Jackie Sherrill. And so, you know, for the better part of uh, you know the last several years, we have owned this rivalry back, you know, back since nineteen seven since nineteen seventy two. We have lost three games, two games, excuse me, to Vanderbilt, two games since nineteen seventy two. We don't play them that often, but you know we should beat them when we do. Last year, I don't know if you guys remember this, you should. Uh, Vanderbilt didn't win a game, not a single game. Now, at the beginning of the year, if you recall, because, you know, Derek Mason is a defensive-minded guy. It's just a guy that put some really good defenses on the field, even when they didn't have a lot of talent at Vanderbilt. And so they lose at Kyle Field 17-12, and a lot of people thought they should have won the game. They just couldn't string it together offensively. But, you know, when we saw that result, we're all thinking, well, goodness gracious, maybe Vanderbilt's going to be pretty good this year. Then they get shelled 41-7 back-to-back weeks by LSU and a really bad South Carolina team. Then they get bombed in Nashville by Ole Miss 54-21. Remember, that was a game for like a little bit, and then Ole Miss just overwhelmed them. And then they come to state. We beat them 24-17. They nearly beat Kentucky in Lexington and lose 38-35. Probably their best chance for a win. They get beat uh, by Florida 38-17, and then they basically quit at that point. They get beat 41-0 at Mizzou, uh, and then they lose 42-17, and then the game with Georgia is canceled. That was a game that was rescheduled from earlier in the year. But Vanderbilt didn't win a game. And then their football players had the nerve to go stand on top of their dugout and uh, talk a bunch of trash to our players during the game. And you can say, well, Steve, that's part of baseball. And, and to a certain extent, I agree. And then after the game, they went down to the team buses and got into some discussions and arguments with some of our baseball parents. And so we need to beat these guys, um, not just because we need to win, but I think we need to kind of send a message. Now, a lot of people would say, hey, Vanderbilt's going to be better. No, they are not. Not this year. Now, is Clark Lee changing the culture up there? Listen, he's a Montgomery Bell Academy guy. He's got it played at Vanderbilt. And so he understands the importance of keeping Nashville talent home. And I do think that they will recruit better. I don't think they'll recruit at the same level James Franklin did. I just don't know if he has that same personality. But I do think they'll do a better job of kind of keeping that thing together and keeping the in-state talent home. 
they'll sell the value of the Vanderbilt degree and that sort of stuff. And I think it's probably going to cost us a, uh, a recruit in Grayson Morgan, who is also, uh, you know, Montgomery Bell Academy guy. And uh, so there's just a lot of you know, connections there. So I think he'll probably end up there. But Vanderbilt is going to be a complete rebuild. And I think Clark Lee probably knows that this year. I don't think there are any, you know, delusions about winning this year. I think they're going to go out there and just try to get better every week and kind of build into next year. It's going to be a difficult year. Let me look at the schedule real quick, and then we'll kind of look at some of the personnel. Now, like everybody else, they'll get a full schedule this year, so they'll probably get a chance to win a couple ball games. But we'll just stop at the couple ball games because that may be the end of the deal. So they open up at home against East Tennessee State. They'll probably win that game, or they probably should. It may be the only game they win the whole year. The next week, they go to Colorado State. And anytime you got to go on the road when you don't have a very good team, it's a very challenging proposition. They come back and host Stanford. Hey, thanks, Derek Mason, right? Not that Stanford's world beaters, but Stanford obviously has recruited at a much higher level. Uh, the last few years. And Stanford's well coached. Then they host Georgia. So right now, I would say we're looking at one and three after four games. Well, then UConn comes in. So that's probably a toss-up game. But Vanderbilt should find a way to win it. That's a couple wins for them right there if they win the toss-up. Then they go to Florida and then to South Carolina. And I guess, you know, based on you know recent history and you know, the fact there's a new coaching staff there at Columbia – that could be a bit of a toss-up. Then they host us October 23rd, and then they host Mizzou. You guys know what I think about Mizzou. I think they're going to be an interesting team this year. Again, don't expect them to contend in the East, but they will beat somebody and help determine that race. Then it's a week off. They get Kentucky, and then they travel to Ole Miss for the annual rivalry game between the Vanderbilt of the East and the Vanderbilt of the West. And that has been an interesting series over the last several years. They finish up uh, at Tennessee. So probably a two and ten year. I mean, I, you know, you never you, when you when you throw out the record books, you know, when Ole Miss and, and Vanderbilt get together. But I think it's uh, I think you know you look at it and you say you know what they should find a way to win that ball game. I just don't know if they're going to have the firepower. Ole Miss going to be a score this year. Should be able to. I mean, like as long as Mackerel stays healthy with his arm talent, they're going to be really, really good. Uh, and just because I'm curious, right? Just just because I want to go back and look at this because I think it's funny. So, since 2010, Vanderbilt wins in 10. They win in 11. They win in 12 against Ole Miss. In 13, 14, 15, Ole Miss evens the series 3-3. And then Vandy wins in 16, Ole Miss wins in 17. That's four and four. And then Vandy wins in 18, and then Ole Miss wins in 19 and 20. And you remember one of those games that Ole Miss won in the freeze era is when they just couldn't make a tackle. You know, they just couldn't make a tackle. And then interestingly enough, the 13 and 14 years, I guess the 13 is the one when when Vandy just couldn't make a tackle late that Vandy, Ole Miss had to vacate their 13 and 14 uh, wins. So, technically, since 2010, Ole Miss has three wins over Vanderbilt, and that's an annual opponent. So, 
there you go. But yeah, so let's look at what Vandy has as a team kind of returning. And listen, it's going to be a youth movement. I mean, you know it is, and that's the smart way to go about it because you're not just playing for this year, you're playing for the future. you got to get some of these guys some experience. It's going to be interesting for sure. All right, so let's take a look at this. It seems like they have had a lot of turnover at quarterback. I don't think that will be the case this year. We'll see how things go. Um, but, you know, new offensive coordinator in. They may make a change there. But, you know, Ken Seals is a guy that has some real ability last year. And, uh, you know, we'll kind of see how things happen. Mike Wright is a guy, too, that's kind of being mentioned as a, a candidate for that job. Cam Johnson is also uh, their leading receiver, and he's back. 56 catches last year for three touchdowns, uh, 545 yards. And then uh, Amir Abdur Rahim and Chris Pierce. Veterans. So they've got some skill. Not exactly sure what we should expect, you know, in the running game. Um, you know, Keon Henry Brooks in a transfer portal. You know, so they're you know, they're probably kind of looking, you know, for what's going on here. They had they had a day of a running back transfer in uh Remond Davis from Temple transferred in. Offensive line, um, you know, it's always a work in progress, but they do have, uh, you know, I guess a couple starters back. Kind of see how things progress. But, you know, so that they should be able to throw it around a little bit if they can protect some. But it's not going to be a great year. I mean, everybody just needs to understand that. Before I think Vandy people understand that, that it's a work in progress. They have one of their own kind of running the show up there now. But defensively, they were an absolute joke. Now, Clark Lee is a guy that has a defensive pedigree, so you know he will work to get that corrected sooner rather than later. Defensive coordinator Jesse Mentor comes in. Uh, but it's Clark Lee's team. And Clark Lee, of course, was the D.C. at Notre Dame, so you know he's going to be very, very, very involved with that. Jesse Mentor is a guy that's got you know, secondary pedigree with him. But they just weren't very good. And they're not going to be very good against a run. Really, really, really thin up front. They lost a ton in the secondary. I mean, an absolute ton in the secondary. We'll see how things kind of progress there. But, you know, this defense is really a work in progress. Andre Mintz is a guy that uh, was big for them last year. Great pass rusher. Yeah, they just don't have much to build from. And so you just kind of blow it up this year. It's as simple as that. If you're Clark Lee, say, you know what? I'm going to play the young guys. They're going to be with me here for two to three to four years. Let them take their lumps, and then we'll figure it out from here. Nobody's job is in jeopardy this year. Of course, uh, my friend and former colleague Barton Simmons is now up there, kind of part of their recruiting operation. And so that's a pretty savvy move, in my opinion. Barton Simmons, a former college football player. I think they think he played at Yale. Uh, met him years ago down in Miami. We were both covering the offense-defense game. It, it seems like forever and a day ago. And he was working for Rivals back then, and uh, I was working for Scout. And then he left to go to 247 from Rivals. And then now he's left 247 to go to work for Vanderbilt. So that's his career path, and I do wish him the best. And we have uh, – corresponded a little bit here in the last couple of years since he's, uh, I guess, last year since he's made the move there and uh, seems to be really like it. Feels like the Vanderbilt uh, has treated him well. But I think they, everybody up there understands that this is going to be a process. They didn't get there in one year. 
They're not going to get out of it one year. Probably anything they win. Let's say they win two games this year and then maybe four the next year. And then maybe in year three, you're hopefully looking to break even and possibly sneak into a ball game somewhere. It's just going to be difficult with the East getting better. And I just don't know if Vanderbilt's going to have the ability to consistently recruit skilled players at a high enough level to compete in the Southeastern Conference on a year-in, year-out basis. Now, you can go out there and recruit really hard in East Tennessee, and you can put some things together, and you can build a young nucleus. But I just don't know if you, you can put it, the depth around them necessary to win consistently in the SEC. I mean, there's a reason Vanderbilt hadn't done much at all. I mean, I guess before James Franklin got there, they hadn't been in the bowl game since, what, like 82? I think that's right. But they're just, you know, they don't have a lot of tradition. And James Franklin, those were the glory days of uh, Vanderbilt football. Let's be honest about that. I'm just curious about that, too. Let's look that up here real quick. Um, I I know when Woody Woodenhofer was there, that was the big thing, is they were trying to get um, back to a bowl game for the first time since 82. All right, so, yeah, here we go. List of Vanderbilt football seasons. You know, yeah, back in around the turn of the century, you know, Vandy was – and I love that SEC show where they showed the history, you know. So, they won a bunch of conference championships, you know, back around in the early 1900s. And then once we became the SEC in 1933, uh, things did not go nearly as well. So, let's see here. They – they beat Auburn in the Gator Bowl in 1955 for their first ever bowl win. How about that? So they didn't go to a bowl game again until 1974, and they tied Texas Tech in the Peach Bowl. So it's two bowl trips in their history through 1974. And, yes, 1982, they lose to Air Force in the Hall of Fame game. They don't go to another bowl game until 2008 under Bobby Johnson. Yeah, he was the coach that, that succeeded Woody Woodenhofer, former Pittsburgh Steelers defensive coordinator, Woody Woodenhofer. Thank you, Woody. But Bobby Johnson gets them to the Music City Bowl in 2008, and they won the game. And then James Franklin. So, yeah, one bowl game between 82 and James Franklin, and that was Bobby Johnson. And then, of course, James Franklin comes in and takes them to three straight bowl games. They go 6-6, 8-4, 8-4. and and then they win those two bowl games. Now, no major bowl games, Liberty, Music City, and Compass Bowl. But listen, you know, when you've been to, you know, four bowl games in your history and all of a sudden the coach has got you going to three straight, you start to feel like you got something special. And they did. Then he left them and went to Penn State. So I don't think you see a return to that. But, I, you know, maybe, it'll, maybe it can be like it was to Bobby Johnson. You know, maybe you're in there, you know, maybe you build and like have a three-year talent cycle and then you get to a bowl game and then you kind of got to start over. But, um, you know, James Franklin's a guy that did a really good job there, a really good job there. I guess Bobby Johnson just had the one winning season and he was there. And this will show you how patient Vanderbilt will be. Bobby Johnson got there in 02, left in uh, 2009. After a winless season, they had one winning season. One. Robbie Caldwell took over in 2010. I think he was that interim guy. But you understand my point here is that, you know, Vanderbilt doesn't expect to win. And it's funny, too, that – and let me get on my Vanderbilt, you know, soapbox here for a minute. You know, Vanderbilt also is a team – when there is an even number of scholarships being distributed, really struggles in those sports. 
right? It's amazing that we talk about, oh, the great value of the Vandy degree and the education and that sort of stuff. But when there is a free education available, they struggle to recruit players, right? Because the same people that could get a football scholarship from Vanderbilt can get a football scholarship somewhere else. They just choose not to go to Vanderbilt because everybody's offering the same scholarship, right? <laughs> same thing in men's basketball, women's basketball. Everybody's offering the same scholarship. It's 100%, right? It's a head counter sport. But all of a sudden in baseball, when it is a partial scholarship sport, now all of a sudden Nashville is the place to be. Now you're like, oh, yeah, this is the value of the Vandy degree working here. No. It's because you're cheating. And maybe cheating's not the right word. You're exploiting this loophole. And rest assured, that is something with this name, image, and likeness thing. If this name, image, and likeness thing continues the way we expect it to, you mark my words right now. Here's a hot take for you. As Mississippi State and Ole Miss and others figure out how to navigate through a name, image, and likeness world, the pack is about to catch Vanderbilt baseball. Mark it down. Because there were a lot of people that went to Vanderbilt because, hey, I can go there for free. I can go to Vanderbilt for free because of the need base aid scholarships. And that wasn't available to them at Mississippi State or Ole Miss or even Tennessee. And so now all of a sudden as teams begin to kind of figure this stuff out, say, hey, here's a way that we can kind of offset the inequity in scholarships for baseball is through name, image, and likeness. Vanderbilt should be totally against name, image, and likeness because now it allows the pack and narrow the gap on them when it comes to recruiting. And you can say, well, you know, the name, image, and likeness piece can't be part of the recruiting piece. Yeah, sure, Jan. It's going to be. And now all of a sudden you're like, no, we can't make any guarantees for you, but I tell you what, you know, hey, we can give you – you know, 33%, but you know what? Uh, one of your teammates last year signed this deal with so-and-so, and they got enough money to pay their college expenditures for that year, and so they're going to graduate that free. And so if you don't think those conversations are going to take place, you're kidding yourself. And so, Vanderbilt, your days are numbered in baseball, and then your baseball program will be very similar to what it is in other sports. It may take some time, but – you know, the opportunity for you to continue to, you know, basically skirt around the 11.7, those days are over with this name, image, and likeness thing. It just is. And, and you don't, and Wim Sanderson said it on Jocks the other day. I had a friend share it with me. Wim Sanderson said that he didn't think that name, image, and likeness was going to be to be a great separator in football like some people are suggesting. But he said, you know what, in baseball, teams like Mississippi State will get whoever they want. They've already got the fans. They've already got the stadium. Now they got the championship. And now they'll have ability to help kids pay for school they didn't have ordinarily. And so I'm a firm believer that name, image, and likeness is a true separator in baseball for teams like us and for Ole Miss. I mean, let's be honest. Even Listen, we're light years ahead of Ole Miss. I don't care what you know the self-loathing Mississippi State fan says. Guys, we beat them 16 out of 19 times. But, Steve, they were a one away from Omaha. But you know what? They didn't get to Omaha. 
That's how it is. Either you get there or you don't. They've been there one time in my lifetime, and that was 2014. And so maybe, with name, image, and likeness, maybe it'll help them get there. That's always been the knock, is they couldn't get to Omaha, and we could get there, we couldn't win it. Well, now that we've won it, maybe that changes. But here's the deal. In the state of Mississippi, you know, the players that play at State and Ole Miss are celebrities, especially in baseball. Because we are a baseball-crazy state. That's not in any way to diminish the you know, celebrity of football players in this state because there are a ton of those. But you don't think Jake Mangum could have made a fortune with name, image, and likeness when he was at Mississippi State? Not that he needed it, but you don't think he could have made a fortune? He absolutely could have. You don't think guys like Landon Sims could make a ton of money? Logan Tanner? Those guys, in many respects, are just as popular as the, the, the MLB players in this state because they're accessible. I can go buy their jersey. I can come to the game. I can see them more often. So there is this celebrity around these players. And I don't know if that's necessarily the case in Nashville. There's a lot more things to, to do in Nashville. Number one, you got the Titans, right? But have you ever been to a Vanderbilt baseball game? They don't have anybody come to the games. So what kind of marketing opportunities you can have? And sure, there's some well-heeled alumni out there that, that can contribute, but they already are, right, to the whole anchor down foundation or whatever that nonsense is. So they've already been doing what everybody else is going to be able to do now in many respects. So watch what I'm telling you. It might take 10 years. It might take five years. Vanderbilt's not going to be what they have been. Vanderbilt very soon is going to see their little window narrow a lot. And it's going to, I'm sure I'm going to get a phone call and say, hey, Steve, I don't know. No, 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 no. It's going to be a much different deal. This is going to be good for State and Ole Miss and maybe perhaps even somebody like Auburn. You know, maybe for Auburn. Because Auburn, honestly, and I, I've talked to so many people in college baseball circles, it is more difficult to recruit to Auburn than any school in the SEC West, which is insane to me. Because, number one, it is cheaper to go to school at State or Ole Miss than it is to go to, go to Auburn. And then they, have, they won't allow them to count those bordering counties across the state line in Georgia as in-state scholarships anymore. So, you know, those guys aren't going to pay out-of-state scholarships to go, you know, play at Auburn. And so now all of a sudden, with this name, image, and likeness, now all of a sudden there are some recruiting windows that open for Auburn to make it a lot easier to, to keep their talent in state. And so that might come at our detriment. But I think the fact that we have really established ourselves as a national program, and we're not necessarily going to be so reliant on the border state. Not that we won't be recruiting Alabama. We always recruit well over there. But one of the reasons we do is because we know that our offer – and the net differential on the scholarship between us and Auburn is very favorable to Mississippi State. All right, I got a little long-winded there, so the show is probably going to run a few minutes over. I apologize. And people say, well, Steve, don't ever apologize. But um, So the next segment of the show brought to you by Portico. I told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville, Portico was where I would move to. I live out in the sticks right now. I like living out here, but it is a little bit of a haul to town. I could be a lot closer to the action living at Portico, 1.1 miles from campus. And it's on the backside of campus, so I'm not dealing with the, you know, the busyness of, of 12. 
And the best way to get there is you come off 82 on the 12 light, go into campus, and right before you get there, the very first ride is Pat Station Road. You cross over all West Point Road, boom, there's your new neighborhood portico. You can get a, get a two-bedroom, two-bath house, four-bedroom, four-bath house. Whether it be an investment property for you or your primary residence, Portico has a place for you. That great walking trail out there, and I told you guys, it's so close to campus. It's great for convenience, but you're far enough away that you're out of the house on bustle. Brooks Bryan is part of a great group that is bringing this great place to Starkville. Phase one, complete. I think there's one house available in phase one, phase two, construction's up and running now. So if you're looking to move to Starkville now, we've got a place for you. You've got a home for you at Portico. If you're looking to move in the months ahead, you can have a brand new house right here in Starkville. And everybody's always said, you know, maybe one day. Today's the day. And maybe if today's not the day, but maybe next week or next year, it's never too late to start planning. Give my friend Brooks Bryan a call today. He's your friend too. Brooks robbed that home run against Washington just for you to send us to Omaha. 601-416-8075. 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move so i have had great feedback about this last segment of the show i don't know why i didn't think about this earlier i i kind of fashioned myself as a bit of a bulldog sports historian and so when i learn things i want to share them i don't just want to keep it to myself but i wanted to talk today it's we're getting close to football season so we're going to kind of skew more towards football uh with these segments mississippi state's first true heisman trophy candidate in football you can say, Steve, I don't know we had one. Well, we've actually had a couple. But our, our highest vote getter before Dak Prescott was a running back out of Meridian, Mississippi named Shorty McWilliams. Now, some of you say, you know, Steve, I, I know a little bit about Shorty. Well, let me tell you what I know about Shorty. Number one, he was born in Newton, Mississippi, and, and uh, you know, spent some time there in Meridian. Attended Meridian High School. Played for the Bulldogs in 1944, and then went – and joined the army volunteered to go from what i understand never left stateside because the war ended and then they allowed him to come back and then it was all this controversy because army had won a national championship in 1945 with that tremendous backfield shorty was a huge part of that and so shorty wanted to come back home and Army basically accused Alan McKean and Mississippi State of tampering to get a kid that was theirs to come back home. Oh, I think they were talking, you know, trying to recruit him back. And, of course, you know, since the war was ended, they were, you know, of course, they had to, you know, discharge a lot of military personnel. Shorty liked to come home. And so even though it was some controversy, it all worked out. Of course, State wasn't sanctioned. You know, Shorty had joined the military out of patriotism. Just felt like that was the right thing to do. Well, he returned to Mississippi State and played uh, 46, 47, and 48. So he had technically five years of eligibility, counting his year at the Army. He was uh, an All-American in 1944, and that was when he played at Mississippi State. Southeastern Conference Player of the Year. Was uh, in the Heisman balloting twice, one time here, and then also to... Uh, at arm at the army he was drafted twice by two different teams drafted by the la dons in 1949 and that's of the old uh 
AAFC, and then the NFL, the Chicago Bears picked him in the uh, 48 draft and then uh, spent some time uh, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was a national champion in 1945 with Army and a second-team All-American with Mississippi State in 44. He was a four-time first-team All-SEC player and, of course, the SEC player in 1944. So here's another part of this story I wanted to share with you that makes it a little more personal. So years and years ago, I was uh, because I've always been curious about our former grades. I didn't know a lot about Shorty McWilliams, and I was calling all these former players and uh, had a chance to speak to Joe Fortunato and you know really some legendary players at Mississippi State. And I, I didn't know Shorty passed away, and lo and behold, I found Shorty McWilliams' phone number in the Meridian phone book. And so I called and I asked to speak to Shorty McWilliams. And his uh, wife, Gloria, answered the phone. And she said, baby, Shorty's been dead for a few years. And I said, well, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. I apologize for not doing better research. I said, I wanted to write a story about him. And, and she said, well, since Shorty's not here, what I do? And so I spoke to Miss Gloria McWilliams, the former Gloria Wideman, for about 45 minutes. And she told me this great story and it was so funny. She said when Shorty was alive, he was such a great sport that he would cheer for Ole Miss when they weren't playing Mississippi State. And she said, I wasn't as good a sport. She said, I hope they lost in everything. And I said, you know, Miss Gloria, you're a woman after my own heart. So Miss uh, Gloria is uh, of the Weidman family that, that owned the Weidman's restaurant there in Meridian that is still one of Mississippi's great, great restaurants. And any time that I'm going through Meridian, I go through there and I pay my respects to Shorty and Gloria and I go and eat at the restaurant. They had four daughters. Shorty McWilliams' name was uh, added to the Ring of Fame at Davis Wade Stadium. I had a chance to share my interaction with Miss Gloria with the daughters. And, of course, they knew about the article that I wrote. So we repurposed the article and ran it again when Shorty's name was uh, added to the Ring of Honor. When I spoke to Miss Gloria Wyman, she had uh, was not in good health, and she had actually had had an arm amputated, and um, so we spoke and spoke and spoke, and uh, I think it had been a long time since she had had an opportunity to talk about Mississippi State and about Shorty and about his playing career, and she basically said he was Superman, that he could do anything, anything that he set his mind to, he was good at, and so when the conversation got got ready to wind down. I said, hey, Miss Gloria, it's been great to talk to you. And she said, baby, will you do me a favor? And I said, sure, Miss Gloria, anything. She said, will you call me back someday so we can talk some more about my shorty? And even saying that to you guys now, I get chills because I never got a chance to call her back before she passed away. But I was so honored to be able to have that conversation with her because the more that I have learned and the longer that I have lived, I have learned what a great man Shorty McWilliams was. And that rather than chase... And then NFL Future, he elected to come home and be with Miss Gloria and run the family business and start a family. And I think it says a lot about Shorty and his legacy, that he was one of the greatest players in all of college football. And then when, after a couple of years in the pros, he elects to, um, to give it up and go home and be a husband and a father back in his native Mississippi. And I have so much respect for him. And every time that I go in that restaurant, I always go 
I go to the little bar area over there, and there's a picture of Shorty, the famous picture of Shorty. And I always go up there, and I touch that picture, and I tell him thanks. Thanks for his contributions to Mississippi State sports. Because, again, before Dak Prescott, he was the only Heisman candidate that we ever had. And so I share that with you guys. You know, his name is not on any building other than being in our ring of honor. And I know that a lot of young people will go to ball games and see the name up there and say, I don't know anything about him. Well, let me just tell you this. Shorty McWilliams, you can find a video of him. And I've got some video around here somewhere. And I, at some point, I'll cut all this stuff up and put it online for you guys. But Shorty Williams was the absolute truth. He had this keen sense when he would run. It's like he could just feel defenders as they closed in, and he would, like, make a move before they even reached him. It's like he could make people miss, almost like he had eyes in the back of his head. And so I share that with you because I think, again, it is always important to know from whence we have come. And there are many of you that are very young and, and don't have a real appreciation for the fact that, uh, you know, back in the 1940s under Alan McKean, we were we were tremendous. And you say, you know, Steve, that's forever and a day, and God, I want to be good today, and I do, I do too. But I think it's also important that we never forget those people that made these tremendous contributions to Mississippi State Athletics. And so I'm going to continue to do this segment. And uh, I've had a lot of people reach out and say, hey, Steve, I wish you would tell my grandfather's story. I wish you would tell this story, that story. I'm going to do my best, kind of like the top ten list. I'm going to do my best. But um, I've got a pretty good list together today of some things that I want to talk about. But I wanted to share this with you guys. And so i got to go because I can get this story up for you guys, and i got to get some rest. But uh, thanks so much for your support of the Barnyard, and uh, I appreciate your patronage and everything that I do. You can find Stark Villains shirts at StarkVillains.com. They're still doing a great job with all that. And... Um, I just want to make sure that you guys understand that uh, when we get ready to do books and we get ready to do shirts and things like that, uh, it's important to me. And there are so many people that say, you know, Steve Hayes, we want to support you. You know, buy some books, you know, buy some shirts, subscribe at jeanspage.com. And uh, I can't begin to thank you guys for all the things that you've done for me and the life that you've helped create for me and my family. It's not anything that I ever take for granted. But writing this book, Dogpile, has been one of the greatest things of my life and uh just witnessing all that and being able to go back and relive it and capture it not just for you guys but for your children and your grandchildren and the children and grandchildren to come i hope this is a book that you guys will will keep forever and it'll always be a keepsake and have a special place in your heart as i've said many times this is not our national championship it's our first national championship and while we're on that topic when I, when I go for those of you guys that like to get out there and argue with Ole Miss people online or whatever it's really not our first national championship we actually have 21 national championships individually and then we have this one this is our first team championship in a major sport and so don't think that we're just this podunk athletic department that's never succeeded in anything it's just simply not true that's going to do it for today. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.